Welcome to the Liberated Latina Podcast, your space to be activated and elevated so you can become a sought-after coach online. I'm your host, Daisy Lopez, visibility coach helping amazing women of color coaches reclaim their voice and have a poppin' and profitable online presence. Visibility is so much deeper than just strategy and mindset alone. Here you'll get the concepts and tools that will amplify your message and catapult you as an irresistible choice in your niche. The time for women of color leadership is here. Ready? Of course you are. Let's dive into the episode. They say that less than 1% of the population in the United States has completed a marathon. But the truth is from where I sit, it's hard not to think about the incredible entrepreneurs and visionaries that I've had the privilege to meet and even support and to see all the qualities of a true marathoner in those individuals. And while it's not specifically in the form of running 26.2 miles, it's in the form of what I think is something much harder. It's in the form of spending years building something from an idea, sometimes not even sure where it's going to go or if it's going to work out. It's the hours of pouring yourself into a project only for it to fall through in the end. And then having the mental fortitude to believe that something better is around the corner. It's dedicating your heart, body, soul, everything that you have to a goal years before it actually comes into fruition and way before people around you can even see what you see behind your eyes. And the way that I see it, you listening, all of us as business owners are marathoners in our own right. So in this episode, I wanted to share some of the deeper lessons beyond the usual talk of endurance and mental fortitude when it comes to talking about marathons, because the truth is that in the process of completing my first full marathon, 26.2 miles, in the preparation beforehand, and even in that six plus hour journey, there were so many lessons that went so much deeper than just endurance or just mental fortitude that I really believe have so much value and deserve a space to be shared with the incredible business owners that are out here growing something and playing that long game. So here we go. Welcome to this episode called The Finish Line. What is up, my beautiful people? I am so excited. I am not only very much looking forward to diving into this concept with all of you, but I am using a new mic. I am recording on a new platform, so hopefully it sounds better. I've titled this episode, The Finish Line, and this is an important concept that I wanted to make sure that I took the time to bring forth in a way that wasn't just like sharing the story of completing my first full marathon, which happened on January 7th. I completed my first 26.2 miles and I did so in Disney World, which was super cool because the race, the marathon, the full marathon goes through all four parks. So in Walt Disney World, there's um, there's of course Magic Kingdom, there's Epcot, there's Hollywood Studios, and what am I missing? Animal Kingdom. So 
to cover the 26.2 miles, you actually end up running through all four parks and it's a really cool experience. So I completed that on January 7th and I wanted to make sure that I just sat with that whole experience and not just the actual race, but everything that went in beforehand because I literally have never been a runner. Emphasis on never. (laughs) I've never done any sort of sports. I have never been athletic in my life. When we would have those mile run tests uh, in school, I would just basically walk it, like power walk it because I just wasn't a runner. So it was pretty much like a nine to 10 month period of starting from the couch to marathon. (laughs) I mean, I've always been active. I really like cycling and spinning classes and things like that. But running was so out of my comfort zone, so out of my identity zone. So I just really wanted to sit with this whole experience. And I titled this episode, The Finish Line, because this race was, it felt like the first time that there was a concrete finish line when it feels like sometimes in life, the finish line is always moving. It always feels like we're moving the goalpost the more that we progress through life. For a long time, the finish line was graduating high school, and then the finish line was graduating college, and then the finish line was getting into that job, and then getting promoted, and then starting my business, and then come like the income milestones, and that becomes a finish line. But this race was really interesting because there was something so different and so significant about having a set finish line. And between those two points and within those 26.2 miles, it was like the human experience condensed in six plus hours of living. So I wanted this episode to take a different shape. I wanted to weave in the story of the experience because when I tell you that almost everything that could have gone awry kind of did with the exception of like maybe me getting hurt but a lot of things were kind of unexpected there were a lot of curveballs thrown my way and it was just such a wild experience so I definitely want to share the story but within the context of what are the lessons that we can extract to have a bigger discussion around what it really means to go the distance, what it really means outside of a race where there is a set finish line. Because all of you that are listening, that have your own businesses, that are growing an idea, that are in this for the long haul, are playing the long game. I mean, you all are in your own marathon of life, right? Let's go ahead and dive into the story time and the lessons. And by the way, if we haven't chatted over on Instagram, I really invite you to just send me a DM. I love connecting with all of you. And I know there are a few new listeners and I would love to get the chance to just chat and and be able to create that one-on-one connection because that's where we can really continue on this relationship. And if you feel the nudge to share this with somebody as you listen, it would be such an honor to have this circulate. And that way we can invite even more incredible humans to have these conversations with us in this quarter of the internet. Before I get into the first lesson, I have to kind of tee it up with a story. (laughs) The marathon, all of the Disney races really begin really early because they need to make sure that they can clear everybody out and 
you know, they, they of course closed so many highways, they closed down parts of the park and with Disney world, I mean, there's so many people there at any given moment. It's so big. So they start these races really, really early. Like the first person begins at 5am and they do so because they, they want to make sure that they can clear the highways and clear the parks to get back to normal operations. We were there. I ran it with my fiance. We were there at like maybe 4 a.m., which means we had to get up at like 2 a.m. to make sure that we were up, got some coffee in us. We have to eat something to make sure that we're fueled up for the long journey ahead. We have to hydrate, have our electrolytes. Like it's a whole thing. We were there at 4 a.m. And with these Disney races, they have what's called corrals. And I'm sure they have this in in all different races. I just don't know because I've never really done another race other than some charity 5Ks and things like that. So uh, we were to sec- the second to last corral and we had to wait. Like there was a lot of waiting. We didn't actually cross the start line until probably 50 minutes in. So it was close to 6 a.m. when we actually started the race. And there's a lot of standing, a lot of just waiting around. So it was such a surreal experience to be um, like right walking up to the start line and we're in this big corral and there's a bunch of people and everyone's all excited. And Disney, it's really cool because they count you down and each corral gets kind of like the same treatment. They count you down. They have little fireworks that go out. They play music. Like it's really fun. So I had been watching wave after wave after wave of people cross the start line. So I kind of lost this novelty. But then when it was finally our turn and we started walking slowly up to the start line, I was like, oh, my gosh, like it's here. It's really here. So they count us down. The fireworks go. We cross the start line, start running. And I notice that I'm already going to be in for a wild ride. I was so uncomfortable already because I don't know if it was the nerves. I don't know if it was the 2 a.m. like forcing food down my throat. I don't know if it was the coffee, but <laughs> I, you probably know where this is going. But I, your girl was clenching. Like it hit me all at once. I really needed to go to the bathroom. And I also had gotten my monthly cycle early because of course, right? Um, so I wasn't supposed to get it until the day after the marathon. I got it two days before. So that was also happening. And we were starting the race and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be miserable. Like, ya empezamos mal because I am clenching. I really have to go to the bathroom and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go to the bathroom anyway to take care of female business, you know? So even in that first getting started, I was like, oh my gosh, already I'm off to a rocky start. Already I don't feel comfortable. I'm like clenching. There's no bathrooms or the only bathrooms that they have are porta potties. People are going off of the racetrack to go into the woods because we start in a parking lot of of Epcot. We start in the Epcot parking lot and they take you kind of behind the parks in some instances. So when you start, you're kind of going behind 
the actual park, which is kind of cool because you see things you don't normally see, but there's like woods, like big trees. People are going off of the course to use the facilities in the woods. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. That is not going to be me. Couldn't be me. Like, I'm not that desperate yet, but let's see. So that first maybe few miles, honestly, I was reminded of all of the preparation that went into it before because I was telling myself, okay, yes, you're uncomfortable. Yes, it's unfortunate that all of these things came up. Biology was really messing with me in the beginning of this race. But there were so many times in the training where I experienced similar things where I just felt like I wasn't teed up in a way where I was going to have my best run ever. I was going to have my best time. I was going to you know, really knock that run out of the park. In that moment, I was so thankful, which is crazy. But in that moment, I was so thankful because even though I was so uncomfortable and my brain was kind of going into a little bit of victim, like, oh my gosh, why does this have to happen? I This was the last thing I wanted to be experiencing in the very beginning of this very long journey. I was also so thankful because we still had training sessions that didn't go to plan. We still had training sessions where whether it was biology calling, whether it was, and if you've gone on long runs, like I'm sure you've experienced that too, because it's, it's kind of inevitable. Like, what happens to our bodies and to our digestion when we are running those long of distances and trying to feel in between miles. It's like, there's a lot that happens, but I was so thankful that we had those rough runs, that we had those obstacles because I knew and I had data to back up the fact that yes, I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel my best on top of being really tired and like all of those things, but I knew that if I could make it through the training and be uncomfortable, I can make it through this because the preparation is is in all of its forms, whether it's the preparation of a really good training session or a really good run and you killed it and you're seeing the progress or it's the preparation of, okay, I don't feel great. I have a stomach ache. I am on my period. I am just feeling so lethargic and I still do the thing, it all prepares you. So that was the first thing that I have been taking with me because even now in my day-to-day business, even when it doesn't feel like it, I tell myself the preparation is always preparing. The preparation is always working, even if it feels like a setback. So when things don't go to plan, when it feels like one thing after another, one curveball after another is coming my way. Now I ask myself, what could this be preparing me for? But that was the first lesson is that preparation is in all its forms is useful. And even when it doesn't feel like it, it's always preparation for the real thing. It's always preparation for those moments where all you really have is the ability to lean on those previous experiences and those previous moments of training and preparation. Going back into the story time, (laughs) first two miles were pretty miserable. And I remember thinking, okay, once we get into the park, I'll be able to see where along the course there are like actual bathrooms so that I could 
use an actual facility instead of having to resort to a porta potty or to going into the woods, which I just just that was just not an option for me. Like I'm, I was just not about to do that because I had a lot going on. <laughs> I had a lot of biology things going on, and I was just not about to go into the freaking woods. Even the porta potty was just going to be way too complicated. So we get into Epcot. And if you're familiar with the park, if not, it's not, not a big deal. But if you're familiar with the park, we came in through backstage, uh, which is just like the um, backstage they refer to as like the, the areas where usually cast members are the only ones to access. So we came in backstage through Test Track. And uh, then we kind of made this like loop-de-loop. And then came in through Mexico, which was really cool. I don't even really know like the full path because I was so focused on not having an accident uh, on the course. So, but I just remember I looked up, we were going through test track and then I looked up and I was like, oh wait, we're in Mexico. That's pretty cool. So I was like, okay, great. There's bathrooms coming up a, a, a couple times on the course. I think everyone else had the same idea because the lines were so long. And the thing with Disney is that you do have to keep up a certain pace and there are pacers at the very end. So at the end of the last corral, there are uh, a group of women who they call the balloon ladies. The balloon ladies are like, they're very nice women. They're very nice. They're very happy. They're very cheerful. They're not, in, they're not bad people, but they are literally run Disney villains. It is crazy how many people are just like paranoid about seeing two balloons floating in the air because that means that the pacers are close to you close enough that you can see them and you are in jeopardy of not being able to finish because if they pass you then um there are these security gentlemen on on bikes that will often come and say hey you know doesn't look like you're gonna finish the race and they put you on a bus they take you to the finish line and you're not able to actually complete the race. So being that Danny and I had started a little far back, like we were kind of towards the end of the second to last corral, when I saw the lines of those bathrooms so early on, like within the first three miles, I was like, I can't. If I stop now, I'm in serious trouble. Like I I don't have that time. Um, so I was like, all right. <laughs> gotta keep going and getting to mile three or so so like within our first 5k after our first 5k danny said you know if you want to get a head start and go ahead of me and get a little bit of a gap so that you can stop to use the bathroom and then i'll i'll end up meeting up with you because it was like everything even the porta potties had lines it was ridiculous so uh so he was like hey why don't you go ahead and I'll meet up with you. That way you can have time to use the bathroom. I'm going to fast forward. But literally, I had to hold it like clenching. When I tell you clenching, I was clenching for the first like nine miles or so. It started raining. Torrential downpour. It was cold for me, right? Like it was literally in the 50s or so. So it was raining. Like I was soaked, it was cold, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to, when I go to the bathroom, I'm wearing these like leggings, like running tights. Now I have to like wiggle myself out of this 
and I'm soaked. And that, I don't know about you, but that is the worst feeling for me, like taking off wet clothes and then having to put it back on. Oh, it just gives me the ick. So I had tried to stop at a porta potty within, I think it was like mile six or seven, because I'm like, I'm legitimately going to have an accident. This is going to be embarrassing. Like I'm going to explode. So <laughs> we're getting really personal in this podcast now, but I, I just, there's no other way to say it. I had made the line for a porta potty and that's when Danny came up and he was waving at me like, hey, the balloon ladies are about 45 minutes behind us or 40 minutes behind us. We got to go. Like, you don't have time to make this line. I was getting towards, if you've ever been to the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, there's what's called the Tickets and Transportation Center. And that's where you can pick up your tickets or if you need to go to Will Call, you can do that. And then that's where you can take either the monorail or the ferry to get to the actual Magic Kingdom, the beginning of Magic Kingdom. And the way that they took us is we were actually able to go into the Tickets and Transportation Center, and then we took a roundabout way by where the resort is to then be able to run around and into Magic Kingdom. So I'm getting up to the Tickets and Transportation Center. Danny's family was there. They're cheering for us. And I had still tried to really push my pace and get a gap between Danny and I so I could use the bathroom. And I was like, I need I need to use a bathroom in Magic Kingdom. And I'm going to keep looking to make sure there's a bathroom beforehand. We end up getting to the Tickets and Transportation Center. I see Danny's parents. And I felt so bad because they were like clapping and they were so happy. And I looked at them and I was like, oh my gosh, hi. I look across from them. There is a bathroom. And I'm like, this is it. I have to. I'm walking up to the bathroom and the line is maybe seven or eight women deep. And if you know us ladies, like we take a while to go to the bathroom and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever, but there's no me queda de otra. I have to do it. I get in line, wait the line, go into the bathroom, literally have to do everything under the sun in the bathroom, get out, wash my hands. I'm like, the, my, my leggings are sticky and cold because they're wet and ugh, it was just so uncomfortable. I leave and I'm thinking, oh, like it, it maybe was, you know, I was in the bathroom maybe a minute. Uh, you know, it probably didn't take that long. I get out and the crowd is so sparse and there is not a lot of runners passing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I literally at the end of this race? So I look at his parents and I ask them, has Danny passed yet? And they're like, oh yeah, like a while ago, my stomach dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have to push it. I'm more behind than I thought. So I grabbed my Uncrustable because <laughs> I was starving and that's all I wanted. And luckily, we knew beforehand that we wanted to make sure that his parents had certain, you know, different things that we might need so they could hand off to us. And I was eating my Uncrustable, feeling relieved because I wasn't clenching anymore. And I was pushing it in Magic Kingdom trying to get to Danny. I really wanted us to go down Main Street together and uh, Magic Kingdom has the Cinderella Castle. And I really wanted us to be able to cross Main Street, go, go down Main Street, excuse me, together, or at least be able to, right when you come out of the castle, cause you run through Cinderella Castle, they have photographers on the other side. I wanted us to be able to go through that together at least. So I'm pushing it. Like I'm really pushing my pace and I'm thinking this isn't super smart 
because I have a lot of road to go. I have a lot of miles to go, but I also feel like I'm at the back of this freaking race and I will not get swept because I had to go to the bathroom. So I finally catch up to him. We go through the Cinderella castle together, which is really fun. And I start thinking, this is where the second lesson is going to come in. I'm starting to think, okay, I know I'm going to need another stop three to four, you know, three hours from now, three and a half hours from now, I'm going to need another stop. And if I make another stop, it's going to land me at around mile 19 or 20. This is all like me doing math. So much of this marathon was me doing mental math, trying to track my pace, trying to track like how many, how much time has passed between miles, trying to track where potentially the sweepers, the the balloon ladies were. It was a whole thing. We're going through Magic Kingdom and I'm in my head and I'm thinking, I'm going to need another break. I'm going to need another stop in three to three and a half miles. It's going to land me at about mile 19 or 20. I'm thinking everyone's going to have to use the bathroom towards the end of the race because people have likely gone now in the beginning because the lines were so long. I was like, man, everyone's going to the bathroom right now. Likely after drinking so much water and all of that, people are going to likely have to go to the bathroom at the end as well. So I need to give myself at least five to six minutes of a gap to make the line, to use the restroom, all of that. So this was really difficult. And this was where I had to lean on the ultimate vision and the ultimate goal, which was I wanted to finish and I wanted to finish with Danny and I crossing that finish line together. That was the mental image that I had had in my mind all throughout training, all throughout our long runs. That was the visualization that I would take myself through. I knew that that was the ultimate goal. And I knew that if that was the ultimate goal, then, and I, and I had this other need to stop at a certain time and just gauging how long it was taking and how long it took me, I made the decision to try to go the bulk of the race, gaining that gap that five to six minute gap, which is pretty in like running world. That's pretty significant. <laughs> like that's especially knowing that as the miles go on, you get more and more fatigued. Like that is kind of a steep gap. I told Danny and Danny told me, he's like, you know, if you want to get a head start, if you want to go ahead of me, you can. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm going to have to. And it felt like it felt like I was leaving a comfort zone because all throughout training and I kind of envisioned us doing the whole thing together. I have never gone on a long run by myself. And although, you know, you're around so many people at these races, but it just felt like I had to leave this comfort zone of being next to him and doing this with him. But I was willing to do that for the ultimate goal of at least, if we can cross together, then it'll all be worth it. And that's where the strategy comes in. So the lesson here for me was that strategy, an effective strategy, is really based on this blend of clear goal setting. So a clear goal in mind. It's based on creativity and then the confidence to execute it. 
because there was no way for me to plan beforehand, especially with this being my first race, like pretty much ever. <laughs> there was no way for me to know that the lines were going to be that long, that I was going to have that huge stomach issue, that I was also going to be like on my period, that it was going to be, you know, rainy. Like I just, I had no way to know that all of these combinations of things were going to happen. And that's where the creativity had to come in of, okay, how do I, how do I make this work? How can I think beyond right now so I can make sure that I am doing everything that I can to execute on that clear goal? And then that's when the confidence came in of, am I going to really be there for myself throughout this very long run? And can I hold myself in this and the discomfort and the fatigue, just that, that naked feeling of like, I don't have my person next to me. Like I'm, I'm here on my own and also feeling bad. Like I, I really wanted to, I really wanted to do it with him from start to finish, you know, but I relied on that formula. I had the clear goal. I added in that creativity. How do I make this work based on these unforeseen circumstances and then I had to rely on that confidence to execute and knowing that I had my own back at the end of the day. He had my back, of course, but through the bulk of that race, I had to have my own back. And I also had to have the confidence in him that he was going to be okay too. So the majority of the race, I was trying to get that lead. He was pretty much never more than a half mile behind me, which with our pacing, that's about like a five minute gap. So I was happy with that. I was definitely happy with that. And the majority of the marathon was honestly just me doing math straight up. I had moments of euphoria. I had moments where I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Why did I do this to myself? I had moments of just extreme fatigue, but it wasn't that bad because I, I really do think just doing the constant math kept me focused in a way. And we had this website where you could track by bib number. So I had my bib number and I had Danny's bib number. So that's how I was keeping track of where he was. And I knew as long as he's still moving, then he is ahead of the balloon ladies. He's ahead of the sweepers. So we're good. We're chilling. We get to mile 19. And mile 19, you're basically running through the Blizzard Beach parking lot, which Blizzard Beach is one of the water parks on the Walt Disney World property. We're running through the parking lot and I'm thinking I'm going to have to stop. Like now is the time. <laughs> I Before I get to mile 20, I think I'm going to have to stop. And there's no real bathrooms because I, I really didn't know at what mile we were going to get to Hollywood Studios, which was the next park, the last park really that we had left to then get to back to Epcot for the finish line. I didn't know how many miles that was and I didn't want to risk it because I figured that everybody else was going to need to use the bathroom as well. So I told myself, if I see porta potties and it's not a long line, I'm just going to go for it. Um, it's going to be a quick little biology stop and it's fine i'm getting out of the parking lot i see porta potties there's a little bit of a line but maybe you know one person one or two people waiting per little porta potty 
pod, I guess we'll call it. So I'm getting my phone out to let Danny know that I'm stopping at the porta potties right outside of mile 20 so that he knows to that I'm there. And I get a text and I see he's like, I'm on the bus. I'm, I got swept, but keep going, like bring it home. And I freaked out. My stomach dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I look to my right because it was kind of like the snaking of the the course where the people coming in, I could see the people coming in to the Blizzard Beach parking lot when I was coming out where the porta potties were. I look to my right and I see the uh I see pacers for the seven hour cutoff period. And I see them and I'm like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way that I'm this far behind. Uh, because I have been working so hard to to keep that safe gap. So, and I had never seen the balloon ladies. I hadn't even even when we were leaving parks and I could see people coming into the park, I had never seen them that close to me. That I when I tell you I freaked out, I freaked out. I was like, okay, I can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> to hell with that. I need to keep going. And I was also so exhausted because I also realized as I was processing all of this in like a split second, Danny's out, the seven month, the seven hour pace group is coming up. They're walking into, they're coming into the park. I need to go to the bathroom. And I look over and I see the mile 20 mile marker. And I'm like, I've never gone this far before. I don't even know how it feels to cross mile 20. I don't know. The most I had done, I think, was 16 or 17, maybe 18. I don't remember now. We had never done 20. And I know that sounds weird. Like if you're doing a marathon, why wouldn't you end up doing 26.2 miles? But that's kind of just how the training plans go. You never really do. I think the most that people do is 20 miles in training. You really don't do the 26.2. And often the adrenaline and the support and all of that carries you the last six miles. But that's also where it starts. I will say the marathon really began at mile 20 in that moment when it was this feeling of my safety net is really gone. My goal of crossing with him is gone. Like that's dead and gone. And I need to strategize again because I'm exhausted. I don't even know what's ahead of me. And I was just, I felt a little bit of panic. And I think it was partly just because of overwhelm. Like you're so tired, you're dehydrated, no matter how much fluids you're trying to push and electrolytes, you're just tired and you're fatigued. And I was really sad that that initial goal and that vision that had gotten me through so much of training was just not going to happen. This is where the third lesson comes in of this idea that when you feel like your back is against the wall, look for a window. For me, I could feel my body getting away from me. I could feel my mind just spiraling with thoughts of, I don't know if I can do this. I'm so tired. I have six more miles to go. Everything hurts. I'm chafing in places nobody should ever chafe. And I don't know if I can do this. And as I crossed mile 20 and I saw those pace, those pacers, the seven hour pacers, I was like, I, I'm not going to finish. They're so close to me and I'm so tired. I don't feel like I have a lot to give. 
because I had been trying to get that gap thinking I was going to get a little break from going to the bathroom and that was gone. So my heart started pumping really fast. That's when I had to look for the window. And for me, the window of relief was the breath. And it was incredible because with all of the somatic work that I have done, that was also training. Because in these flows and in these practices, whether it's vocal activation technique or just the work that I've done with my somatic mentors or in somatic practices in breath work, that's the training that came in of when I when the resistance would come up of, I don't want to do this, I'm tired, this is dumb, a waste of time, right? All of the thoughts that come in in the mind, my practice in those practices was, okay, come back to the breath, come back to the breath. And in that moment, in the marathon, when I could feel my heart racing, I could feel my mind getting away from me. I could feel the panic flooding up from like the toes up into my chest, up through my head. That muscle memory came in of come back to the breath, control your breathing. You can't afford to be panicked. And so I came back to the breath. I was taking deep breaths. I'm like, okay, now that I have more access, I kept looking over my shoulder and the seven mile pace group was really, was getting really close to me. So I said, okay, I need to access different energy. I don't have the full potency of my energy that I would have 10 miles ago. So I need to access a different energy. And I told myself, okay, what would give me energy right now? Small goals. My big goal is gone. So small wins, small goals. That'll give me my my oomph to keep going. And I'm like, all right. So we passed mile 21, the seven-hour pace group, which right behind them would be the balloon ladies. And I look ahead and it's mile 21. I'm like, okay, one mile down. In my regulation, I went through in my regulation attempts, in my regulation efforts of breathing, of trying to redirect my thoughts, talking to myself in a kinder way, a mile passed. So I passed mile 21. I look back. The seven-hour pace group is kind is like really close to me. And I'm telling myself, if I can just stay ahead of them, I'll be fine. If I can just stay ahead of them, I'll be fine. In that moment, a woman is like running past me and she says, Everyone, the balloon ladies are about five minutes behind us. They're they're coming up five minutes behind us. And my heart just started racing again. I look forward past mile 21. There is the steepest incline because we're going up the ramp of a highway. And my whole demeanor just dropped. And I was thinking, that is so cruel. To throw in the steepest incline of going up a ramp of a highway at mile 21 and change is so rude and so offensive. And I just felt like, man, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I have the energy for this. I don't have the energy for this. And again, I looked for the window. Okay. Breathe. I started breathing and I said, well, Here's the bright side. What goes up must come down, right? So if I can just churn away at this bridge or at this uh, incline and I can stay ahead of the seven-hour pace group 
what goes up must come down. There's going to be a, a decline. And I can really use that to get a boost. I can, you know, run down that incline and give myself a little bit of momentum and leverage to keep going and get an even safer gap. So that's that's what honestly the rest of the marathon was that. It was looking for the window, looking for the window, looking for the window. What can I control here? I would always start from the breath. And from there on out, I would just look for, okay, what's the next little win? What's the next little goal? How do I keep myself motivated? How do I keep myself from keeping my thoughts down the constructive path and not the deconstructive path? And it was so emotional because we we come back into Epcot. So we started in Epcot, you come back into Epcot and the finish line is right at like the start of the park. So you go, you come in through the back of the park, you run through the park and then you end at the finish line in the front of the park or back in the, in the parking lot area. And my phone was just blowing up with family. Like you got this, you're almost there. We're, we're tracking you. Go, go, go. There, there was a certain part there where I realized that that endurance, because we hear it talked about all the time, right? The endurance is in, is a mental game that running is a mental game and it is, but endurance isn't just in those mental thoughts. It's also a mental construct. It's built from a mental construct and that construct, this is, I guess the fourth lesson is your identity. What I didn't realize until the last three point something miles, like really the last 5k of a 26.2 mile long, mile long journey is that the identity is what would carry me. That's what carried me through some of the longer runs during training. That's, that's what was being built during training. And the construct of this identity of I am a marathon runner. I am already a marathoner. I am a marathoner. I am a marathon runner. Like that construct of that identity is what really got me through. Because if that wasn't intact, if I still identified as I can't do this, I'm not a runner, I'm so not athletic, I ha- like I just I've never been able to do this. I can't do this. Let me just tap out and a lot of people did. Which no shame, right? This is hard. It's a hard thing, just like for you and your business, right? In your entrepreneurship journey, a lot of people tap out and that doesn't make them bad or wrong. It just is because in there, there's so many things that, that you have to go through, that you have to endure, that you have to be able to not just surpass, but be able to really thrive from. But what allows us to still believe that there's a rainbow on the other side of this really huge shitstorm. What allows us to take a few nasty falls to know that what's on the other side is worth it? That comes from identity. That's not just a, a game of willpower or having something special that other people don't. It comes from the construct of that identity and just you just know that you are the person that does. XYZ. You are the person that endures. You are the person that can go through this. You are the person that can come back 
from adversity, can come back from all of these challenges being thrown your way because you don't always get to know what challenges are going to come your way. You don't always have all of the answers in those moments. You don't have the experience even to rely on a lot of the times. But what you do rely on is that identity. That's what I wanted to land at here is that once we cross that finish line and we look back at everything we just endured, the highs, the lows, and then we realize that the finish line was just a moment in time. It doesn't really, it's, it's important, but that's not where the work started. That's not where the work stops. But for all of us in, in our own personal marathons of growing a business, I wanted to leave you with that idea of what is it that really fortifies you? What is it that really holds you up when you don't necessarily have the other people to lean on that you really love and feel comfortable around? What fortifies you when you don't even have the experience to navigate these obstacles because you've never been in this position before? What holds you up when you're doing something that is so outside of anything you've ever done before? And what type of identities can you rely on in order for you to be able to navigate those types of challenges and unlock that true staying power? All of this to say couple of other questions that I've been asked. Are you going to do it again? Uh, yes. <laughs> Danny and I are going for Redemption Marathon Part 2 in 2025. Uh, training starts again very soon. And for other people that were concerned, the Danny was hurt and that's why he couldn't finish. But he's fine. He's totally fine. And we're just going to go at it again. And I'm so proud of him. I don't know if he's going to listen to this episode, but I am so proud of him because he took it in stride. Like he really tried after he got hurt. Um, and I felt so bad that I wasn't th there with him, but he took it in stride and he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it again. Like I learned a lot of his injury was just a matter of the circumstances we were dealt with the rain and gear and, and just things like that. and. He's like, I'm just going to do it again. I'll be at the start line again next year. That has its own lessons in and of itself, right? That resiliency of you don't necessarily always have to cross the finish line to be able to walk up to that start line again, to be able to try again and put yourself back in the arena. And it's never truly over. It's never truly a failure. It's all preparation. Because even this marathon experience for him is preparation for him, for the next one, and even for me. I mean, I saw so many different areas that I can better prepare for now that I have the experience, but that identity is really what got me through in that arena where I did not have the experience to lean on. So thank you all for hanging out with me in this very special episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation around just staying power and enduring all about fortitude and going the distance and wherever you feel like your next finish line is, I hope that you realize that it's never just about the finish line and your journey is so much bigger than just the next finish line that you have in mind, but 
when you do cross the next finish line that you have in mind, you're going to be so set up for the remaining journey ahead. And I'm so proud of you and your endurance and your commitment and your devotion for playing the long game because a lot of people a lot of people don't choose that. So, thank you all. I hope to chat with you all in some way shape or form on Instagram and the Facebook community and I will go ahead and see you in the next one. Bye everyone. real quick did you find value in today's episode if you did take a screenshot right now share it on your instagram story with your biggest takeaways and be sure to tag me at the liberated latina this allows me to see what you are most enjoying about the show and it grows our community of liberated hermanas thank you so much for hanging out today i hope you had as much fun as i did and i'll catch you in the next one besitos